are rolling into fall with all the new programs that are starting up again. But for many of you, that's just one part of what's new this fall. Many of you just started school, new classes, new schedules, new teachers. Some of you just sent kids off to college and you're adjusting to hearing about their new experiences or adjusting to not hearing from them at all. <laughs> some of you just started new jobs. And for some of you, this might be the first fall that you're not going back to work. And for us at Community of Grace, this is the first fall in 14 years we've been without Steve Turnbull. And as we search for the next senior pastor God will bring, we're in a new season of prayerfully seeking how God is calling us to trust him as he moves us forward. And for some of us, change is exciting. It gets the blood pumping. And for others of us, change is scary, which also gets the blood pumping. So I guess the good news is everybody's got good circulation right now. We can work with that. But times like this bring to mind a favorite prayer of mine. I call it the Ventures Prayer. And it goes like this. Lord God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending by paths as yet untrodden through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Isn't that a great prayer? I love it because when we're asking what's going to happen next, there's only one way to find out, right? The only way forward is through. And the truth is, when God calls us, he always calls us to ventures unknown. That's what it means to walk by faith. And it takes trust for us to dare to step out. Trust not in us, but in him. And where we seem to get derailed is when we start focusing on what we think we can do rather than on what God can do. And you might have noticed our sermon series for the fall is called Trust Issues because faith is ultimately trust. But underneath the trust in God that we profess, the truth is we all have our issues. And if we try to ignore them, they can end up undermining us. But if we acknowledge them and offer them up to God too, they can actually be what God uses to move us forward. You see, God doesn't expect us to never have issues, but part of authentic faith is trusting God even with our issues with trust. There's a story in Mark 9, 24 of a father asking Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus asks him, do you believe I can do this? And the father cries out, I believe help my unbelief. I want to believe. I'll bring you all the faith I've got, but I'm going to need your help, Jesus, for the rest. I love that answer. And guess what? Jesus did too. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Trust and issues. And if we're honest, that's where we all live, isn't it? But a heart that knows it needs his help to trust and is willing to step forward with whatever trust we've got, now that's the kind of heart God can use. In our series this fall, we're going to be looking at what happens when God calls people to trust him through ventures unknown. We're going to look at Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Deborah, Gideon, David, and Elijah. And what you're going to find is that all of these people had trust in God that was amazing. And all of them also had trust issues 
that made them imperfect followers like us. This world is full of people who are seeking hope and purpose and peace, people all with their own issues, and the same God wants to build each one of us up to know that we can trust in his love in Jesus Christ to lead us through it all. Because out of God's amazing love for us, he didn't leave us to fret and agonize over our ability to be good enough or to get it all right. Instead, he sent Jesus to tell us straight up, that's not even possible. Don't waste your time thinking you can accomplish that. Instead, Jesus laid down his life to give us an amazing gift. That God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to take your sin and give you his righteousness, his right relationship with God, his Father, in its place. And when we trust Jesus with our issues, our sin, he will bring them to the cross, he will put them to death, and then he'll do his work of raising you up in forgiveness and grace. Jesus paid the price out of love to offer you a way out of the world's rat race of constantly trying to measure up to impossible standards. And instead, he offers you a way of learning to live in the joy of an ongoing relationship with the God of grace. Now, we could choose to live in the world's way, but why would we? Life is so much better in Jesus' way. And when we know that, that's what we want for others, too. And that's why our calling around here at Community of Grace is to be and to make disciples of Jesus. But to live that out, of course, we all know we have to be disciples of Jesus ourselves first. And I think confusion about what that means might be part of what keeps us from living out the second part of that calling. Because when we talk about being disciples, I think what many people picture is not a disciple, but actually an apostle. And an apostle is a preacher, a teacher, someone stands before the crowds and publicly teaches and proclaims about Jesus. And uh, you can also see the, the screen the definition a vigorous and pioneering advocate or supporter of a particular idea or cause. Uh, that's the dictionary definition of an apostle. But biblically, not everyone is called to be an apostle. Apostolic ability is a gift that's given by the Holy Spirit. And in the list of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, the gift of apostleship is listed as one gift among many, along with gifts like teaching, or encouragement, or generosity, mercy. The truth is, not everyone is gifted by God to be a vigorous, eloquent, effective debater for Jesus. But God does call people to be apostles, and he uses them to use those gifts well. It's really fun when you see someone with an apostolic gift in action. But you don't have to be an apostle to be a disciple who makes disciples. Not everybody is called to be an apostle, but every Christian is called to be a disciple. Because what a disciple is, is a student learner. The definary, uh, dictionary definition, a follower or student of a teacher, a leader, or a philosopher. So for us as disciples of Jesus, as people who've been forgiven and freed by Jesus, we are all called to learn from him what it looks like to live our lives in relationship with God as he walks with us. And that is an ongoing, lifelong learning. But I think we often struggle with our calling to be disciples who make disciples because we think, 
well, I don't think I'm an expert in this yet. I still have so much to learn about Jesus myself. And that's where our issues trip up our trust. It's not that we don't trust Jesus. We don't trust us. And we think to make disciples, we have to be able to expertly explain all things spiritual. But that's absolutely not true. By definition, students are not experts, right? So why do we, who are students of Jesus, think we have to have all the answers to invite someone else to be a student of Jesus with us? Martin Luther once said that all any of us Christians are, are beggars who tell other beggars where we have found the bread. So people of God, repeat after me. I am not an expert on Jesus. I am a student learning from Jesus. Okay, now everybody take a deep breath and let it out. When you're a student and somebody asks you a question, it's absolutely fair to answer, I don't know. Let's see if we can find out together. And that's how it works in the church. A disciple of Jesus who makes disciples is just a student learner who invites someone else to learn from Jesus alongside them. And you know what? That's how it's been done from the very beginning, from the very first of Jesus' disciples. Today I'm going to walk us through a story in John 1, verses 35 through 50, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. And we're going to see how five different people came to follow Jesus in four different ways. And out of those four ways, three ways were through student learners inviting other students. So here's how it starts. Out of love, God took the first step by sending Jesus to us. And then in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he uses his apostolic gifting. And he proclaims to everybody who's in earshot who Jesus is. He says, behold the Lamb of God. And now John has his own disciples, followers learning from him how to listen to God. And when they hear John say, that's the one, because they trust John, they decide to check Jesus out by following him, literally. Jesus' first disciples were paparazzi without cameras. And I always imagine Jesus kind of slightly amused when he finally turns around and asks these guys who are stalking him, what are you looking for? And since they really don't know, they just ask, where are you staying? And Jesus answers, come and see. Because that's who Jesus is. He doesn't just want you following behind him, watching at a respectful distance. He wants you with him, beside him, knowing him not only as master and teacher, but as friend and rescuer. And that can only happen when we get to know who he is, when we let him get close enough to let him in on our issues. And so he calls you, come and see. The text tells us, and they remained with him that day. They saw who he is for themselves. And by the end of that day, these two, Andrew and the one who's probably the disciple John, become disciples of Jesus. So what do we learn from this? How do disciples make disciples? Well, method number one, some people, like Andrew and John, come to Jesus by directly being told who he is. Now, that method works best for people who are already looking for the truth, people who are spiritually hungry and are actively searching. 
So much so that when John the Baptist tells them where to look, they immediately follow up on it. Do you know people like that? Do you know people who are searching for spiritual answers? When people are already looking for God, the very best approach is just to be straight up with them about what you know about Jesus. Tell them where to find the bread. Pray with them about giving their issues over to Jesus. Point them to the source. Help them learn to stalk Jesus themselves. Give them a good book on Jesus to read or suggest reading the Gospel of Luke. When somebody is spiritually hungry and looking, the direct approach is best. But not everybody knows what it is they're missing or what they're looking for. And that calls for a different approach. Which brings us to the next part of the text. Andrew and Peter were brothers. Now, Andrew just became a disciple of Jesus. And the end of that day, Andrew goes home to his brother and says, Peter, you've got to meet this guy. Because Andrew knew his brother well enough to know that even though Peter had spent his day fishing, instead of following around behind John the Baptist looking for spiritual answers, he knows Peter has the same longing for more. And what Peter needs is for someone who knows him and who he trusts to say to him, Peter, I think you'd really appreciate hearing what I heard. Will you come with me? Will you see for yourself? Do you know someone who's longing for the same things that you get from knowing Jesus, but they don't see it yet, that faith in Jesus is where they're going to find it? Maybe all they need is a place to start, an invitation to an introduction from someone who can walk alongside them. Start by just telling them your own story, what faith means to you. Then think about the things that help you learn and grow. Invite them to join you in those things at a service event or a worship or with your group. Because some people come to Jesus by, in, by being invited by a friend just to come and see and learn beside them. And then there are the people that Jesus calls directly, which brings us to the next part of the text. Nobody told Philip about Jesus. Jesus himself walked up to Philip and said, you, follow me. And Philip did. And guess what? Jesus still does this today. Maybe you've heard these kind of stories that some people and their longing to know God are nudged by the Holy Spirit in a dark time of their life to just start reading the Bible. And when they do, Jesus shows up to be powerfully real to them, and the Word comes alive, and suddenly they're His, boom, disciple made. And some people have had dreams where Jesus speaks to them, and they end up bringing themselves to church so they can learn more about Him from Jesus' other students. And a disciple is born. So what does this mean for us as disciples who make disciples? Are there people in your life who are inaccessible to you, either by distance or by a distance they've created? For those people who are not in your sphere of influence, who you can't find a way to reach, know they are not inaccessible to Jesus. Pray intentionally for them that the Holy Spirit will draw them to a place where they can receive an introduction. Because some people need a direct invitation, and only Jesus knows what every heart needs. But he knows. Which leads to the fourth approach for the person who is hostile to even the thought of Jesus being Lord. How does someone who is hostile to faith meet Jesus? Well, after Jesus called Philip, Philip then goes to his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's first reaction is, yeah, right. 
God sent the Messiah to that podunk town? That can't be true. But Philip knows his friend, and he issues him a challenge. Well, then, check it out. Prove me wrong. Come and see. So Nathaniel goes. And Nathaniel is not one to believe, to believe for no reason. But it isn't Philip who gives him a reason to believe. It's Jesus. And when Jesus meets Nathaniel, the first thing he says to him is, here's a man who tells it like it is. And Nathaniel, telling it like it is, shoots back, how do you know me? And Jesus answers him, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel very unexpectedly blurts out, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, what's that about? <laughs> Obviously, there's more to this story than we know. And if I was going to guess, I would say that under that fig tree, earlier that day, completely alone, with not a soul anywhere around him to observe him, Nathaniel had one of those conversations with God. God, are you real? Do you even see me? Do you even know that I'm here under this fig tree? And an hour later, his friend comes to find him and tells him the Messiah has come from God. And then he's face to face with the man whose first words to him are, I know you. I saw you under the fig tree. Now, if that's his backstory, his reaction would make sense. But the truth is, we'll never know the full backstory, and that's okay, because that's between Nathaniel and his God. But that same God knows your backstory too, and the story of every person, even those who are hostile to him. Because the truth is, anger and devotion often have the same root. That's a passionate heart. And when that person finds a God they can trust with all their heart, they're going to be a disciple like no other. And for some, it takes a challenge to get them there. And this is where, as disciples making disciples, you have to realize you will not be the one to convince them. Only Jesus will. Because the truth is, you can't have a relationship with Jesus for anyone else. You can only make the introduction. But some people meet Jesus by being challenged to come and see. How can you dismiss something you've never even explored? And that was Nathaniel's story. And that was only the beginning. So recap all of this. What have we learned? If you're a disciple, you are a lifelong learner of the master Jesus. He alone is the Savior. And we get to live into the blessings of the eternal relationship we have with God because of Jesus' work. And if we know that joy, our call is to invite other people to know him too. But how we do that will be different depending on who those people are. So for people who are looking, number one, like Andrew and John, we can boldly share who Jesus is to us and show them how they can stalk Jesus too in worship, in scripture, in prayer. For people who are open, number two, but don't even know that they're looking, people like Peter, we can invite them to come with us and see those things that help us to find fulfillment in faith because sometimes all they need is an introduction to Jesus, a place to start, an invitation from a trusted friend. For number three, the disconnected, like Philip, who none of the disciples even knew. For those people who are inaccessible to you but who need what Jesus gives, pray for Jesus to intervene and show you where you might have an opportunity to connect with them at some point. And for the hostile, like Nathaniel, 
Who do you know who might need an invitation to come and see posed as a challenge for them to wrestle with Jesus themselves? Because in this world where so much is uncertain, where we travel through perils unknown, we have the joy of knowing what we can trust. The God of heaven and earth loves us so much that he sent his son to rescue us and restore us to himself. And when we surrender to Jesus' love, our future is secure, and we can trust we never have to travel this life alone. And every time we come and see that the Lord is good, he continues to unfold for us more of his beauty, of his power, of his grace. And as we trust him to step into his love for the sake of others, we feel the joy of the Lord's love for them as well. A disciple who makes disciples is just someone who invites someone alongside to come and learn from Jesus with you. And each of us, like Andrew, like Philip, have those people around us who need to know God's love is for them too. So, beloved, where has Jesus placed you?